Hills and Valleys is a podcast that uncovers stories from leaders in healthcare, tech, and everything in between. Straight from the heart of Silicon Valley, we give you a look at the good, the bad, and the future, one episode at a time. Brought to you by Petro Medical. Hey everyone, Omar M. Khatib, Director of Growth here at Petro Medical, and this week we have another exciting guest joining us, Dr. Wael Barsoom. Many of you know him um, from his time as President and CEO of Cleveland Clinic Florida, but just recently he made a, a switch, and after eight years of leaving Cleveland Clinic uh, Florida, he is now the President and Chief Transformation Officer at Hopco, which is uh, short for Healthcare Outcomes Performance Company. Um, this episode, uh, we dive into his leadership lessons coming out of Cleveland Clinic, uh, the mission of Hopco, and the very exciting and innovative things they're doing in healthcare management, and more specifically, how organizations like Hopco are helping healthcare systems really elevate the way they manage their patients, the way they improve outcomes, and more importantly, the way they actually share risk with these healthcare systems. Now, let me give you a little bio on Dr. Barsoom. Now, he's a very innovative leader, esteemed professor, and biomedical researcher, and an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, so as I mentioned, he joined Hopco as their president and chief transformation officer just this past fall in August 2020 and served as the CEO and president of Cleveland Clinic Florida region and really had fantastic contributions there. He guided its Weston Hospital to three U.S. News and World Report number one rankings in the Miami-Fort Lauderdale metro region, which is a booming region for population and medicine uh, right now, and also guided the integration of Martin Health and Indian River to form a regional organization stretching from Fort Lauderdale all the way to the Treasure Coast. This is a big, big geography. Um, he continues to practice as, uh, as an orthopedic surgeon and has been awarded dozens of patents for his clinical innovations. Uh, he received Cleveland Clinic's Sones Award for Innovation in 2011 and the Cleveland Clinic Innovations Award 10 times. So it's no wonder why Hopco recruited him to be their chief transformation officer. Um, he's also a prolific author who's written nine chapters in medical textbooks. He's co-authored more than 200 articles in peer-reviewed medical journals and serves as the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Hip Surgery. Um, and he's currently a member of both the Hip Society and the Society. Um, and for us here at Petro, we, we're very familiar with Dr. Barson because of his wonderful and very inspiring, inspiring posts that he, he puts up on LinkedIn. So without further ado, here's our episode with Dr. Wael Barsoom. Enjoy. Hey everyone, Omar M. Khatib, Director of Growth at Petro Medical with another fantastic episode of Hills and Valleys. Today, I finally get an interview I've been trying to uh, get with uh, Dr. Barsoom for a long, long time. So Dr. Barsoom and I are uh, connected on, of all things, of course, on LinkedIn. Uh, he's somebody whose uh, leadership posts and his story has always uh, been very inspiring for me. And most recently, he, he many of you have known him as the uh, former president CEO of Cleveland Clinic, but he recently just took over the leadership role and helm over at Hopco. Uh, which is a very interesting organization. So aside from getting his story, I wanted to have him on to talk about his uh, new new role and the mission and vision of Hopka. So Dr. Barsoom, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Omar. It's a, it's a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, I think the first question we have to start off with is, who is Dr. Barsoom and, and what's, where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Why did you choose medicine? Sure. Uh, so um, I'm, a, I'm an immigrant. I was born in Jordan uh, to Egyptian parents. We, my father's a uh, anesthesiologist, and we moved here when I was a little kid. 
for my father to uh, do uh, his uh, residency, internship and residency here in the United States. So of all places, he ended up doing his uh, anesthesia residency at the Cleveland Clinic. So we uh, lived in Cleveland. I grew up most of my life in Cleveland uh, in the shadow of uh, really uh, one of the the greatest healthcare organizations in the world. Um, And uh, lo and behold, uh, about 20 years after we moved here, uh, I ended up going in and out of the same doors my father did during his training, where I did my training uh, as a uh, as an orthopedic surgeon. So when uh, when I was growing up, I got to go to a great um, all boys prep school, a high school called uh, University School in Cleveland. And what, it's actually interesting. We had only three rules at the school. It wasn't even rules, but it was kind of what we lived by: loyalty, responsibility, and consideration. That was it. If you kind of uh, took those three values and lived by them, you would be successful at university school. And it was a great place for me uh, to grow. And I, a lot of my my leadership skills came from there. I then went to Case Western Reserve uh, for undergrad, and that was a fantastic experience for me. Um, it was uh, um, very educational for me, not only academically, but also in terms of learning how to live with other people and and to compromise and to appreciate differences in folks. Um, while there, I was uh, president of my fraternity house, then became president of the Interfraternity Congress. Um, and, and those were great leadership opportunities for me. I then ended up going to uh, Ohio State for medical school uh, and uh, spent my last two years at Ohio State at the Cleveland Clinic as a medical students. So we had a a program that only lasted a few years, but I was lucky enough to be be there during that time. And it was great because when I did my medical school rotations at the Cleveland Clinic, they really weren't used to having third and fourth year students. So we were almost uh, treated as sub-interns the whole time. So (laughs) kind of got to grow up pretty quick, which was was a great experience. And then um, uh, ended up matching at the Cleveland Clinic, did my orthopedic residency there, and then my fellowship at New England Baptist Hospital in Boston, uh, which was just an absolutely incredible place to spend my time as a, as a hip and knee replacement uh, fellow. That's amazing. And what, what an honor. I'm sure you, your father must have been so proud considering, I mean, one is Cleveland Clinic is such a, um, uh, such a well-known institution in, in medical history. The fact that your parents immigrated here. Your father uh, got his uh, opportunity and chance at Cleveland Clinic, and then you, his son went back to lead it as a, as a CEO. What a wonderful story! Yeah. Well, it, it has been a wonderful story, you know. And uh, and I, I I led Cleveland Clinic down in Florida. Uh, my 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 uh, good friend and colleague uh, Tommy Mahalovich, uh, world famous cardiac surgeon, he runs the show uh, across the healthcare system. But it has really been a, a great experience. I remember, again, as a kid, uh, playing hooky from school a few times and uh, going to the uh, to the hospital with my dad and making rounds with him and even being in the operating room and kind of peering over the, the curtains and watching uh, watching surgery. And that was that's really what sealed the deal for me. And um, uh, probably about 10 years ago, he came to uh, the Cleveland came back to the Cleveland Clinic for a doctor's appointment. And I had a bunch of surgeries that day. So well, why don't you come down to the OR and watch your son operate? So so he came down and got to see all of his old friends from from anesthesia there, and uh, and and spent some time with me in the operating room, just kind of observing. It was it was really really a, a neat day. What a wonderful thing! And yeah, it's it's funny we we have a very similar background. So I'm 
like you, first generation immigrant. And my father's from Iraq. My father is actually a general surgeon, but he he trained up at Cook County. So uh, you you know you you touched a, a very yeah. uh, special part of me when because again back in the good old days before you had vendor uh, uh, vendor check ins and everything. I used to just go into the hospital when I was like 16 years old and just say, Oh, hi, I'm Mazen's, uh, Mazen Khatib, son. I'm just, I'm going to be heading over and watch, watching a couple of surgeries and stuff. So yeah. well, what a great, what a great thing. So, yeah. what, you know, I, I want to definitely jump right uh, into Hopco, but before I do, you know, uh, after leaving an institution, an organization like the Cleveland Clinic, what were the big leadership lessons? Because you, you, you became somebody there before you left. So what were the big kind of leadership lessons and things you took away from it that you're bringing to Hopco? Yeah, you know, so a couple things I would say. First of all, I learned that great organizations um, invest in their people. They invest in their talent. And the Cleveland Clinic does that and does that well. Um, That makes a big difference. That's number one. Number two, uh, you need to handpick your leadership team. And you need those folks, you you need to find the best people and you need to empower them. Um, You know, I'm a big fan of being uh, the least intelligent person in the room. For me, that's not hard to do, (laughs) but but it's always great to really surround yourself with with really intelligent, hardworking, committed people that know their space better than anybody else in the world. Uh, It's interesting, I, I, I still write a lot of papers, I'm a very academically involved, person. And I tell our residents and fellows uh, all the time, I say, you know, when you write a paper and you get that paper published, you are the world expert in that topic. Nobody else knows more about what you just uh, reported on than you. Uh, And I think that's a pretty exciting thing. So surrounding yourself with people that really understand operations, people that really understand strategy, people that really understand finance uh, is really a key. Um, I'm also a big believer in not having silos. Uh, You know, I think if you can tear down some of the silos so you get appropriate cross-pollination amongst the groups and people are all kind of there to support each other, that really makes for a strong leadership team that succeeds together or fails together. And and by the way, you know, failing every once in a while isn't the end of the world. You know, if you never fail, it means that you haven't taken enough chances in life. Um, so I, I'm a big believer that that y- you should lean in and you should be on the leading edge, especially if you are at a forward thinking organization. Um, if you are at a leading organization, if you don't lean in and you don't take risk, then you will fall behind because somebody else will pass you. That's a really, really good way of putting it. And I, I love the analogy because you're absolutely right, because, you know, either you could lean in and sort of fail forward and you fall forward or you don't, and you lean back and you just fall behind and if maybe fall flat on your butt, if anything, but that's a yeah. fantastic way of looking at it. So after spending some time at the Cleveland clinic, again, it was, it was very big news in our industry when you, when you had left to go over to Hopco, who is Hopco? What do, what do they do? And, yeah. and what took you over there? So Hopco is a, is a uh, it's really an incredible company. Uh, talk about leaning in. So my good friend, David Jakovsky who is a uh, Mayo Clinic slash Hopkins trained musculoskeletal oncologist. Uh, He founded Hopco about 15 years ago uh, when he founded the Core Institute, which is now one of the largest musculoskeletal providers in the Southwest quadrant of the United States. He was a a, a section head at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester and decided, you know, we ought to be able to provide higher value care 
to patients as a country. And he put together a whole business plan about taking global risk uh, in a population health model in musculoskeletal care. And I remember this vividly because when he was leaving the Mayo Clinic, he called me. I was at the Cleveland Clinic and uh, he called me, he said, why don't you come with me? And uh, I thought the guy was talking a different language, honestly. I didn't understand what he was talking about when he said, you know, we're going to set up shop in Phoenix. We're going to build a practice. Then that practice is going to manage musculoskeletal service lines and eventually build a network that will take full global risk in musculoskeletal care. And I just didn't get it to be honest with you. And I think most people at that time would not have understood it. The only example that we had around global risk was Kaiser, you know, really incredible organization uh, that has done incredible things, but that wasn't really a model that was taking off around the country at the time. And very few people were talking about things like population management. So I waited, I waited a few years. I, um, I got to uh, continue to grow my career at the Cleveland Clinic and be academically active and, uh, and do a lot of great things. Uh, and I watched Dave as he grew a practice into truly a national and international leader in, uh, in uh, healthcare delivery. Uh, and then to kind of create this infrastructure around that practice that ended up managing uh, musculoskeletal service lines, managing orthopedic practices around the country, and then eventually creating clinically integrated networks of providers that would take full capitated risk in musculoskeletal care. So, you know, that's a really incredibly forward-thinking uh, idea today, let alone 15 years ago for somebody to have been thinking in that space. So, took a little while to build all of the pieces. Today, Hopco is 1,500 uh, employees strong with another 1,000 folks that are uh, kind of co-managed with our uh, with our industry partners. Uh, we work in uh, 80 different healthcare systems around the United States today, uh, managing service lines, uh, convening bundles, uh, managing uh, musculoskeletal practices. Uh, we own our own specialty hospitals. We own ASCs. Uh, we partner with other organizations. It's really one of the most flexible organizations I've ever seen when it comes to being a vehicle for the alignment of stakeholders, meaning aligning payers with healthcare systems, with the outpatient ecosystem, with providers, uh, and ultimately with patients. And the goal in all of this is to provide higher quality care for lower cost. There's literally nobody that loses in the model, which I think is, is really great. And there are, there are terrific organizations out there that are great at the traditional delivery of medicine. Places like the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic, Johns Hopkins, uh, UCSD, right? Lots of really terrific organizations, but they are great at the traditional delivery of medicine. Mm -hmm. To lean in now and be great at the at, at the value-based delivery of medicine is a change. And I think more and more organizations are starting to think that way. Organizations like Intermountain Health, organizations like Geisinger, right? They are thinking more and more about how do we deliver even more value to the communities we serve by not only being the leaders in high-quality care, but being the leaders in high-quality low-cost care. And that, I think, is a major differentiating opportunity today. Absolutely. I love, I mean, it's such an interesting thing you said, because originally I'm from Texas, but being here in the in Silicon Valley, 
So I'm part of the Kaiser, Kaiser network. That's my, my provider. And I like it so much. We were thinking about changing plans. I told my HR representative, I said, personally, I said, I'll pay more myself if that means I get to stay within Kaiser's care because they, they do such a good job of it. And to hear that your organization is trying to do this across the nation is fantastic because I think the old model of fee-for-services, it needs to go away. And I think that a lot of hospitals are starting to realize if you really want to be a provider of quality service and care to the community, it can't be when you show up as a quote-unquote customer for services at the hospital. It has to be a full continuum of care. Um, and not a lot of hospitals are set up to do that. To do that, And quite frankly, I think this is where industry provides a lot of value because, you know, they need they need organizations like Hopco to provide that guidance and that kind of an ecosystem because it's really really hard um, to change from an or even if you want to from an organizational standpoint from a business standpoint to make these changes alone, and so you need someone to really usher in that kind of way of doing things. Plus, I think when you when Hopco is doing this across the nation, it's kind of like setting up different approaches and experiments. And so the whole ecosystem of healthcare starts to benefit because it's not just one system in one place, right? So, well, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was gonna say, well, you're exactly right. You're right. I mean, it's when you're great at what you do, it's hard to disrupt yourself. That's the reality, right? I mm-hmm. mean, mm-hmm. and if and there are great examples of organizations that are that have been great at what they do. Uh, but fell behind because they didn't disrupt themselves. So when you think about it, um, Kodak was an incredible leader in photography, right? Didn't really think that digital photography was going to take off. And, you know, they fell behind. Uh, when I was when I got my first cell phone, it was made by Nokia. Nokia had 80% of the cell phone market. They didn't think anybody really wanted a smartphone. They didn't think anybody would spend that money on a smartphone. Today, Nokia doesn't, I'm not even sure that they still sell phones, Yeah, right? That's the reality. So, so you've got, you have to disrupt yourself and, and the organizations that have done so much of that disruption are companies like Apple. I mean, when I was a kid, you could buy Apple stock for $8 a share. I mean, look at it today. I mean, it's it's (laughs) unbelievable. Um, You know, who would have ever thought that a company like Google would become a trillion dollar company? It's a search engine. But it's a lot more than a search engine, right? Because Google, along the way, kept disrupting itself. Now they have self—they have a whole company around self-driving cars. Uh, they have monetized data. They have gotten into marketing. They do all kinds of things that are different than just being a search engine. And that, I think, is the huge differentiator, is, is if your organization is able to understand that even if you are the best at what you do, you have to disrupt yourself, otherwise you fall behind. Uh, and 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 it's it it happens, right? I mean, we saw it happen in the auto industry during the Great Recession that we just had. You know, ten years ago, GM almost went out of business. You know, GM was still making big cars that guzzled a lot of gas, and they were expensive, and they would break down every intentionally as soon as the warranty ended, and people just started buying more Toyotas and more Hondas. You know, GM came out of that recognizing that they had to change the way that they build cars. Today, GM cars are amongst the finest built in the world. They last longer. They get better gas mileage. They have hybrids. They have all electrical vehicles. You know, they are disrupting themselves and disrupting their market. And and that's a big key. Absolutely. 
No, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned Kodak because, you know, they should have been really the ones to launch something like Instagram. But, you know, a lot of companies, and I think we see this so often in healthcare, is that you get very, very attached to your to your babies and you, you're not willing to give it up. Kodak didn't want to give up the uh, the hardware around digital cameras or, or, or yeah, the, just the hardware of cameras. And I think um, for so many things, you know, companies are afraid to cannibalize their products. Netflix is a great example that did do that. They started out with the DVDs and then they said, hey, we should cannibalize this and start doing streaming services. Then they said, we're going to cannibalize that. We'll start making our own shows, you know? Um, and I think healthcare really needs to learn that. I th- I feel that COVID, as, as, ter- as terrible as a thing it was, it accelerated trends that were already happening, but they were not going to get there by themselves. And now they have things like telemedicine come out. And now we kind of really got a taste for what the free market looks like. A lot of organizations are starting to look at themselves in a, in a tough way and say, we need to change the way things are done. Because if that day comes, which I hope it does, where if you're a resident in Texas or, Cal- or, or, or in the Far East and you say, you know what, I've heard a lot about Kaiser. I want to sign up through their healthcare plan. You know, then, then that changes the way healthcare looks really, really quickly, right? Well, that's that's exactly right. I mean, you're you're hitting the nail on the head. You know, one of the services that we're launching soon at Hopco is uh, is a uh, virtual second opinion service. So, really, you are, yeah. So, if you are in one of our networks, if you're a provider in a Hopco network, uh, in and you have a tough case that comes in, we want to make sure that you have access to you know the the very best of the best around the country to be able to give you a virtual second opinion to say, look, for that patient, I think you should do A, B, and C, because ultimately it's in the best interest of the patient. So why would we not provide a service like that, right? That's amazing. Just see just that right there. So one is Hopco is leveraging social network effects. And most importantly, again, we keep talking about empowering the patient, empowering the patient. But the, the reality is not every patient is going to be like you and me, where we have we have the the transportation, the access, and the money. Where if we wanted to get a second opinion, we could. But what if you're a patient who's in in the in a rural area, or a patient who's a mother who's got a bunch of kids, and you're working and everything? You don't have time to go to get a second opinion, right? right? And Omar, and what if you're a doctor that's working in that rural area, and a patient comes into your clinic and has a problem that you just kind of need you want you need to be able to phone a friend, right, and say, Absolutely. hey. You know, this is something that's a little different than what I'm accustomed to. What do you think? What would you do if you were in my position? You know, and, and again, from a patient perspective, you're not telling that patient now get in your car and drive 80 miles to go see this person. Maybe they can exchange enough information that that patient can still be treated locally and get the same great outcome because somebody with maybe more experience in that specific area has helped you out. And we all listen as doctors, we all need help. Sometimes we all need you know, somebody to just tell us, hey, if I were in your shoes, this maybe is what I would do. Or have you looked at it from this perspective? So getting that help is a, is a real benefit. Absolutely. And I love that, you know, you're, that you guys are essentially providing this both on the physician side and the patient side. You know, one funny thing I, I heard a while back is that a lot of healthcare is kind of like this triangle where you have payers, providers, and physicians blaming each other and arguing about different things. And you have patients on the outside just kind of like sitting around and not being involved. But it sounds like uh, what Hopco is doing is digitizing and, and, and unifying this entire healthcare ecosystem. So not only patients are empowered with more information, but physicians have the channels and the networks to actually do that. Because again, to your point, you could be a physician who's really open to getting advice and second opinions. 
But what if you don't have the friend or you don't know who to ask, right? Kind of ends right there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and I think it's interesting, your your comment about um, the providers, the the uh, the hospitals and the payers sometimes not necessarily being aligned, I think is is a fair comment. But the reality of it is when you talk to hospital leaders and you talk to leaders on the payer side and you talk to the, the providers, everybody wants to do the right thing. I mean, I, I've been really impressed. I mean, I, I've had the, the I've been extraordinarily fortunate to meet with uh, leaders on the insurance side over these last several years. And I've always been impressed at how committed they are to really trying to design benefits that best meet the needs of their clients, of the patients that, that buy their plans. And to be able to pass along the savings as they're negotiating rates to being able to pass along the savings to those folks, you know, they're very value driven and for good reason. I, I meet with hospital leaders all the time that want to do this, the, the right thing for their patients. I mean, I've I've had the, the opportunity to work uh, recently with some leaders at, uh, at Ascension Healthcare um, here in Florida. Uh, and, and I'll tell you, man, talk about a mission driven organization. Every time I'm up there, I'm blown away by their commitment to care for the poor, their commitment to doing the right thing for patients every single day, you know, regardless of the cost. Um, they want to do the right thing. And, and for doctors who, who want to make sure that their patients have access to the very best care at the lowest cost, because no doctor wants to have a patient that didn't do well, right? We all want our patients to survive and thrive and be happy about the fact that they chose us to be their provider. So the truth of the matter is, you know, it's, it sounds terrible, but a lot of this kind of semi-distrust amongst the different factions involved is, is, is really has just been messaging that's been lost in translation. Mm. All of the organizations, all of these groups want to do the right thing for patients. It's just a matter of being able to align them on a platform that does that alignment. And that I think is really extraordinarily unique that that's what Hopco does. Absolutely. And you know, what, what's, what's most interesting about it is that it's not, it's not anything that we're not, the market is not used to, right? We've seen this done uh, on LinkedIn in, in bringing together professionals, Twitter in terms of bringing people together, you know, for, for other, <laughs> other things, you know, sure. but, but again, I think the biggest thing, and this is what, if you look at uh, outside of business, like the Beatles, for example, the Beatles didn't invent teenage girls, but they, they brought them all together, right? You know, and I think real movements, uh, both in popular culture, medicine and business is platforms that are established that bring the right people together to make better decisions, more informed ones. And it sounds like that's what Hopco is doing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and it, it is it really is exciting. It's exciting to watch. And and uh, and uh, as we've been kind of growing it's it's incredible today the number of opportunities that we have uh throughout the country uh, and actually now even internationally if you can imagine have just been growing logarithmically it's it's incredible i mean the the, the amount of growth that we're seeing and the number of opportunities uh that we're getting to go and speak with you know some of the most impressive healthcare systems in the country is mind boggling and it just, you know, to me, I think it's uh, it's a real credit to, to my good friend who started the company and had the vision to do this and has stuck through it. And the team that he's built, I mean, really, it's a it's a it's an organization that's 
that's uh, led by physicians, um, but also very, very, very well professionally managed uh, with non-physician leaders as well. I mean, from the finance group to the business development group to the medical economics group uh, to legal. I mean, all of these folks are just really top notch. But uh, but a group of orthopedic surgeons and 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 uh, physician assistants that are um, in there every day kind of leading uh, the effort is really an impressive combination of folks. Now, I do have a question and it, I, it could be uh, not relevant for Hopper, but just, so part of it is, is you guys are big, really much focused on musculoskeletal services. And does that also include things like inpatient rehabilitation? Yeah, so we, so we take full capitated risk, just to put things into perspective, on about 26,000 ICD-10 codes, which represents about 30% of the ICD-10 codes that CMS uh, recognizes. Mm. Um, that includes everything musculoskeletal, including spine, including rehab, and including uh, neurosciences. So all of those are all uh, together, and pain management, uh, for that matter. So all of those kind of fall into that that bucket that we take uh, that we take risk on. Uh, and and again, I think what's very unique is this idea of subcapitating out musculoskeletal care. You might say, well, you know, why that? Well, first of all, obviously we're orthopedic surgeons, so it's what we know. Uh, but the other part of it is musculoskeletal care is one of the one of the most uh, quickly rising costs in healthcare. Yes. If you look at cardiac care, for example, uh, Omar, the cost of cardiac care has gone down because yeah. drugs like Lipitor and Crestor, you know, have all made us healthier. So we're getting fewer open heart surgeries. We're having fewer interventions. Uh, musculoskeletal care, on the other hand, the price is going up anywhere between 8 and 15% a year, depending on where you are in the country. Mm-hmm. So that's a massive opportunity for real disruption to bring down that that cost of inflation and actually cause deflation. And that's exactly what we've done. So in, in one of the first uh, clinically integrated networks that we built in, uh, in Phoenix, uh, that group took risk on around 100,000 lives and, uh, and, and today saves about $32 million a year in its run rate compared to when they started. So every year they're taking more and more cost uh, out of the musculoskeletal spend. And what's very interesting, Omar, is that as a physician, uh, you are your bonuses in that clinically integrated network are based on your uh, you following the the peer reviewed data driven clinical care pathways that have been shown to lead to the best outcomes. So, if a patient comes to your office and clearly needs a knee replacement, and you say, "Well, you know, it's." population health, I can save money by not doing the knee replacement, you'll actually get dinged, right? So it's not about withholding care. It's about providing the right care at the right time in the right setting. And that's really the key because many people will think, well, if it's population health and you're saving money, are you withholding care? That's absolutely not what we do. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We ensure that the right patient gets the right care immediately. And that ends up saving a lot of costs because instead of a patient that clearly just needs a knee replacement, we don't send them to, for an MRI. We don't send them for a bunch of injections that we know aren't going to do the job. We instead just recommend getting the knee replacement. On the other hand, 
the patient that shows up with two weeks of lower back pain doesn't just get a discectomy, right? right. They get physical therapy. They get worked up appropriately. Now, if they have an acute foot drop or they're having, you know, uh, some, some cardiac symptoms, that's different. They're going to get treated through a different pathway. So it's all around ensuring that the right patient is getting the right care initially, uh, which, by the way, from a patient's perspective, is really nice because you're not going down a bunch of rabbit holes to finally get better. Right, right. And I think that's where we start seeing this huge increase in costs in healthcare. And I think to your point, the thing about musculoskeletal uh, disorders, I guess, in, in healthcare is that there are so many different approaches and, and needs. Like, you know, if you, if you need if you need to open uh, cardiac bypass, like there's you might be able to get some, you know, go to interventional cardiology and get some stents, but at some point you're going to need the bypass. That's it. But in musculoskeletal care, there's so many different pathways and so many ways where, again, you can sp end up spending a lot of money just to end up at the point of, let's say, needing surgery, right? But that patient ended up having to spend a whole lot of money just to get to that point. And it sounds like you guys are using an algorithmic approach to say, here are the pathways and, and, and here's how we get the best care to the patient at the lowest cost without having to go down these other routes, because any physician, even coming fresh out of training, you know that there are certain pathways where, again, if a patient wants to get uh, injections for pain, you can evaluate a patient without an MRI or anything and just say, yeah, you can do this only for so long and you're still going to need surgery. You might as well consider doing the surgery now, right? Before yeah. it gets worse. Yeah. And I think it's just That's a great exactly area. Right. Yeah. So I do have an interesting question just because it, it's it's a it's a technology question, um, but it's it's something that kind of caught my just coincidentally the last uh, a month or two. So my uh, one of my mentors and the first CEO I worked for, uh, Christopher Prentice from Missouri Robotics, joined a new company called Harmonic Bionics. It's a robotic company for uh, for rehabilitation upper extremity. One of my close uh, friends, the first person I really met here in the Bay is Nathan Harding. He was the founder of Exobionics. They were the first real big. Uh, bionics company in the rehabilitation space. They just got, I think, clearance for uh, stroke and a few other indications over the summer. And so when I started seeing this, especially my mentor going into this uh, new company, I said, well, what's going on in the rehabilitation space? And when I looked into it, I realized it's, it's very, very outdated because it's mainly done with just human beings. There's no technology involved, right? So it seems like there's more technology being introduced in the rehabilitation space. Plus, the uh, I think the Metapack um uh, study or, or a report showed this this increase in in rehabilitation centers and the amount of people going in for rehabilitation from stroke and other things. Where does Hopco fit in when it comes to evaluating how do we make rehabilitation better and more efficient? And then how do we utilize new technologies, whether it's uh, exobionics or harmonic into these centers to improve the care? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the the big areas of focus right now uh, for us at uh, uh, at Hopco is the use of sensors for patient driven physical therapy. Meaning, you'll have a sensor on that will actually look at you kinematically with the use of your camera and and tell how hard how high, for example, you're raising your arm if you're doing rotator cuff strengthening, or how far are you externally rotating, or how far are you internally rotating. So it almost coaches you through the use of a sensor. Now, that certainly doesn't mean we don't need physical therapists. We clearly, right. there are times where we clearly need a physical therapist, but at the same time, you want that physical therapist to be working at top of licensure. So maybe right. the very right. first visit, they work with a physical therapist. The second visit maybe is through a telehealth uh, 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 
appointment. And then after that, the patient's working on their own, utilizing the sensors. The sensors are feeding back data to a physician dashboard, telling them, this is what your patient did today. This is how well they did their exercises. And by the way, the patient's actually not doing this one right. We need some somebody to intervene. So it's a great way to take a very limited uh, a group of folks, physical therapists, and and make them more effective and more efficient by allowing them to take care of more patients through a, uh, a digitally enhanced platform. So, you know, we have a spinoff company at um, at uh, uh, Hopco that's doing that. There are other companies that are in this space as well. Uh, PT Genie uh, is a good example of that. That's led by Ruben Gobizi, a kind of world famous shoulder surgeon. Uh, Health Excel is a company that um, is a is a uh, uh, spinoff from from uh, an organization up in Philadelphia where they're putting together a chat bot that'll answer questions for patients if they're having you know problems after a knee replacement and they not quite sure what to expect you know my knee hurts today what should I do you know it'll ask did you take your pain medication today how many have you taken to ensure that they're not taking too many but it might suggest you know you're allowed to take more why don't you take another one that type of thing um so so we are without a doubt really trying to integrate more and more in terms of artificial intelligence uh digitally uh, enhanced uh, care delivery uh and remote patient monitoring all of these things together to try to make our, our caregivers as efficient and as effective as possible I see. And when it comes to um, you know managing different service lines, does Hopco also get involved with its with its uh, the customers that it, that it supports in terms of evaluating new technologies, like for example the 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 wave of robotics coming into rehabilitation, and how does it integrate to help physical therapists with with streamlining things essentially? Yeah, absolutely. So we're 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 very much you know one of the things that I think is different for us is we're not a consulting company. You know, when we come into a community and we partner with a hospital, we partner with a practice and, and we partner with a payer, we are joint venture owners in what we create. And you we take are, on the same risk together. We take, we take on the risk. That's exactly right. Uh, we don't come in and say, here's a playbook. Best of luck. Thanks for our consulting fee. Uh, listen, and to be clear, there are great consultants out there. I don't, I don't mean to sound uh, patronizing. Um, that, that's not my goal at all. But, you know, we do. We put our money where our mouth is and, and we work side by side with that organization. And if there's an opportunity to look at a, a new robotic, you know, enhancement or a new technology, we will be right in the uh, uh, right in the trenches with you, looking at it, evaluating it, depend, you know, deciding with you if it makes sense for your organization and 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 the community that we're serving uh, to try again to to uh, to get that high value care. Mm-hmm. And so with, with Hopco, you, uh, and you can, I'll, I'll leave a, a link in the notes for people to go check out. I know that there's a variety of different organizations you already work with, but what's, what's the ideal organization that Hopco is looking to partner up with? Because obviously as a business, you're always looking to expand, take on new, uh, new customers. What's the ideal customer that you're looking sure. for? Yeah, that's a great question. So Omar, we're not a turnaround company. Um, I mean, certainly we could be. Uh, but that's not our goal. The organizations that we partner with uh, across the board are the best organizations in their communities. And that's intentional. We want to align with the best practices. We want to align with the best hospitals. Um, and we want to align with the best docs. And that's really that's really the key for us. Um, can we take, uh, you know, a, 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 a 
uh, a hospital that's, you know, a C rated hospital and make them a B plus rated hospital or an A minus hospital. Yeah, I'm sure we could, but we'd rather take an A hospital and make it an A triple plus. Because right. um, that's where know, the that, real innovation is. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and the truth of the matter is, you know, you've got to be great at the basics anyway, mm. but to but to be disruptive and to be a real leader, you have to be outstanding at what you do. So we 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 work hard to align with the very best partners in the communities that we enter. Uh, and then with those partners together, we grow their them reputationally, we grow their market share. On average, we move 31% market share to the hospitals that we align with. We double their contribution margin within two years. Um, and that's all because we bring down cost, we improve quality, we bring down length of stay, we bring down readmission rates. You know, all of these things together enhance the local reputation of that organization and more volume gets driven to those sites very intentionally. Got it. And we're, we're doing good on time, but we're, we'll be coming to a close soon. But I have a couple other questions before we kind of get into our uh, rapid fire, I guess, questions. Question sure. Answer. But, you know, um, something I want to touch on is we do have quite a few um, uh, uh, hospital administrators, healthcare CEOs who listen to our podcast. But when you mentioned earlier about that Hopco takes on risk, you, you act as a partner, right? As best you can put it or concisely, what does that look like? When you say we, we take on the risk with our partners, what does that mean? Sure, sure. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll find a, a, a hospital group or a hospital partner in a, uh, in a community. We'll also find a uh, orthopedic practice partner in a community. Uh, we don't have to own the practice. Uh, we partner with the practice. Uh, together, we'll then, uh, uh, we'll then create a joint venture which is going to manage the risk and manage the uh, the clinical service line at that site in that hospital system. We'll then go to a payer and we'll tell the payer, we have an infrastructure that will take risk on whatever number of lives you have. Usually it's Medicare Advantage to begin with, but we'll take risk on commercial lives as well. And we'll take it on all you know, 26,000, 27,000 of these ICD-10 codes we'll take the full global risk on all of those codes. Mm. Um, we'll then get uh, uh, claims data from the payer uh, to appropriately price what the per member per month fee is. Uh, and then we'll take, we'll take that risk together with our partners. Now, the beauty of this is we don't need to create a narrow network. We don't need to uh, um, necessarily drive the care just to these sites. We actually layer on our methodology, which includes software, which includes clinical know-how. Uh, our software program alone, we've invested $70 million in over the last five years to give us uh, uh, dashboard data on physicians, on practices, on claims, uh, on hospital metrics, uh, and that we just layer right on. Uh, so as opposed to creating a narrow network, we'll actually be taking risk on lives for patients that are going to providers that don't even necessarily know that we're subcapitating their risk. So it makes it very easy for the payer. Uh, our goal then is to actually take our model and apply it to as many providers as we can in that market so that the entire market sees the benefit of improved quality and lower cost. Um, so that's how we do it. It's, it works very, very nicely. It sounds pretty simple, but candidly, it's relatively complex and it requires a, a big medical economics infrastructure, which we have, you know, part of our 1,500 uh, employees. 
a big part of that is essentially, uh, although we're not an insurance company, it's essentially an insurance type infrastructure for um, for looking at claims and understanding claims and cleaning up claims data and monitoring claims to ensure that we're doing the right thing. Got it. Got it. Very, very interesting. And it's, again, it's, it's nice to see things like this come out in, in medicine because it just shows a, an attempt to really break away from the old system that we've had. And I think, again, COVID really showed us that we're all living in a world with systems that are designed by people who are all dead for the most part, you know, the way yeah. we educate, our healthcare, our roads. And so I think this is the time where we have to really look at um, cannibalizing old, old industries and old, old approaches and making it better, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have, we have 10 minutes left. I want to kind of jump into the rapid fire questions. So these are questions you can take as long as you'd like. But the faster you answer them, the, the, the quicker I'll get to the next one, right? So you can All take right. longer, as short as you want. Okay. Okay. So my first question to you, what is the most memorable thing a mentor ever told you? And how did that change you? Uh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> uh, I have a, a mentor in high school um, who told me to slow down and enjoy the ride. <laughs> he said I was I was always driven I think to try to get into the best college so that I could get into medical school and, and become an orthopedic surgeon. And he, and he did tell me, he said, listen, you, you've got plenty on your plate. Just slow down. You're going to get there. Enjoy every step of the way. And in truth, uh, I took that advice. I mean, I really enjoyed college. I really enjoyed medical school. I enjoyed residency. It's easy. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it's easy being a, a motivated, hardworking person to lose sight of the fact that some of those are the best years of your life. So uh, it really, you know, we all have a lot to be grateful for. So just take a moment, be grateful for all the great things that you have in life. And uh, it doesn't mean you shouldn't work hard. Um, we have a little saying at home, wake up, say a prayer, go hustle. Uh, and that's what that, that's how we raise our three daughters, my wife and I, you know, it's it's wake up, be grateful for what you have. Thank God every day. You know, we're um, we're a very close Christian family and and uh, we firmly believe that that's really the key to uh, to success for us. So we tell the girls every day before you wake up, right after you wake up, say your prayer right before you go to sleep, say your prayer. But understand that you're still expected to work hard. You know, things don't come easy. You got to work hard for them, but enjoy it and be grateful for it. I love that. Yeah. And my wife and I were looking to have probably our first next year, but I really love that saying, you know, and at the end of the day, I mean, whether you're Christian, Muslim or anything, you know, as the old saying goes, God, God helps those who are willing to help themselves. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's a hundred percent correct. Uh, you know, I heard a funny joke a while ago. Uh, you'll probably get a kick out of it if we've got a second for it. So oh, I'm on your time. So absolutely right. a second for it. Yeah. So, so, uh, so there's, um, you know, I live here in Southeast Florida, so we're always dealing with uh, with hurricanes. So I don't mean this to be glib, but there's a hurricane coming and and a uh, guy standing um, uh, uh, at his house and they say, you've got to you need to evacuate. And he says, no, no, I have faith. I, I don't need to evacuate. I'll be fine. Starts the hurricane comes in. It starts raining. He gets up on his roof and guy comes up in a boat and he says, hey, get it. Get in the boat. We're going to save you. He goes, no, no, I have faith. You know, I'll be fine. I know God's going to save me. Uh, the hurricane just keeps pounding harder and harder and harder. Uh, he's now like standing on the roof on his tippy toes. His face is barely out. A helicopter comes down and drops him a, a rope. And he says, grab the rope. We'll pull you out. He says, no, no, I have faith. Finally, 
guy ends up drowning, goes up to the pearly gates. He meets St. Peter and, and, and he tells St. Peter, what the heck? I mean, I, I knew that I thought for sure you were going to save me, that you guys were going to save me. He said, man, we sent you, uh, we sent you a boat. We sent you a helicopter. You didn't want either one. <laughs> so you're right. God helps those that help themselves, that help themselves. Absolutely. But again, in, even in that, even that joke, there's a little wisdom in there, which is you have to pay attention to what's going on around you. And, and really Absolutely. put it into context. And I think I love that because, you know, I'm, I'm a very, I'm a very ambitious guy and, and I, I like to really be focused on, on, on my goals, you know, for my organization and everything, but at the same time, you know, be grateful for what you have and then really pay attention. And sometimes yeah. I think we don't pay attention to things because if we, if we do, we'll realize the truth of the situation and we're afraid of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. You know, I'll, I'll add one other thing too that, Please. that that I think you just touched on. You know, when you 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 talked about Christian, Muslim, Jewish. I mean, the truth of the matter is, and especially at times like this, right? And I, I know this isn't part of your rapid fire, but I'll just make this comment: times like this, we're dealing with COVID. <laughs> we, I mean, the truth is, we're all the same. I mean, we're all people, right? We should all be helping each other, standing by each other. I don't think our country has ever been more divided, which kind of breaks my heart. You know, this is a time where we should all be standing together and helping each other and supporting each other and and showing grace to one another at at really a very difficult time. You know, as as hundreds of thousands of people around the world die, this is really the time for us to stand together and say, we're going to, we're going to, get put this behind us and we're going to we're going to win we're going to come out stronger than we used to be so you know there's there's certainly no harm in showing kindness and i think that's a that's a big key absolutely absolutely all right my next question there's so many things i we're going to have to have you back it's going to happen though (laughs) okay sounds good Uh, so my next question to you is what book do you most often gift or recommend to others and why easy uh outliers by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Um, I love that book. And, uh, you know, it kind of lines up with your last question as well. I love that book because it tells you that things don't just happen randomly. You know, people that are great at something are great because they've put in the time, they've put in the effort. Now, to some degree, there is, you know, some fate involved, right? If you're a hockey player, were you born in the right month to be the biggest kid, you know, at the end of the year? Um, that clearly played a role. If you were the Beatles, did you happen to grow up in Liverpool where they had a great music scene, but you still had to put in your 10,000 hours. You still had to play all the lousy, grungy, nasty clubs before you got to, you know, make, as you said before, you know, teenage girls swoon. Um, but, but ultimately that's really what it takes. So I believe that everyone should have a goal of being great at something and, to do that, you have to identify what it is that you have a not natural God-given talent for, and then you need to put in your 10,000 hours and you need to make it work. I, I, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll just add this quote because I, I like, you know, Matthew McConaughey, the the, the actor? Of course. So, yeah. So uh, for those of you- I feel who, like we look alike, he and I. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so just quick, quick heads up for those listeners who have children, uh, put your children away for a second. Cause I'm quoting Matthew McConaughey here. So when Matthew McConaughey was in, uh, in school, he was actually going to be a lawyer. His father was really adamant about him being a lawyer. And he decided that he wasn't going to go to law school. Either he was in law school and dropped out or was about to start. So he went to his father and he was really nervous. And he said, Hey dad, 
uh, I don't think this law thing is going to work out for me. And his father said, okay, what do you want to do? And he, he looks, he kind of like looked down and he was very, very nervous. He's like, I think I want to be an actor. Uh, and, his, and his father said, sure. That's what you want to do, son. And Matthew McConaughey says, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. And his father goes, all right, just don't half-ass it. <laughs> and I, and I, and I really like that because yeah. that's, that's the part. If you decide to be, a, be great at something. And I yeah. tell my wife this, when we have our kids, I don't know if they're going to want to be a doctor or business person, yeah. an artist, whatever, whatever it is, they have to just be very committed. Just like you said, like, you know, you yeah. have to hustle, you know, and, and yeah. take it seriously. Yeah. So, it's not a random event. I mean, the people that, yeah. that you see in the movies making $20 million a movie, they didn't get there randomly. They're great singers. They're great dancers. They are musicians and they happen to be great actors and they've put it all together for a package that makes them stand out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, we always see when they come out of the other end, when they're at the Grammys and Oscars, we don't right. see the many, many years of loss, failure, oh, yeah. living out of a car, like all these things, the, the, the bad parts, we never see that. We only see oh, at the yeah. very end. We're like, oh man, this happened overnight. Let, let me tell you, if you've never seen this, jump on YouTube uh -huh. and just put in, uh, uh, just search for Justin Bieber playing the drums as a child. The kid's like four years old. He sounds like Neil Peart from Rush. I mean, he is a ridiculous drummer at the age of like four or five years old. It's unbelievable. But that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's not a random event that he's a, a musical superstar now. He's talented. He put in the time. He was committed. And, and look at where he is today. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to look that up during my lunch. All right. So we have one minute left. I have to be respectful of your schedule. But we go over. That's your call. My last question to you is, is this. I want you to imagine that throughout the nation, throughout the United States, every hospital, every medical practice, everywhere, there's going to be a billboard. And everyone who goes in and out of work is going to see this billboard for a whole year. What message do you put on that billboard? Is the billboard for the caregivers or is it for the patients? Care, caregivers. Thank you. This last year, people have put their lives at risk. Caregivers have done it. I've seen nurses, techs, respiratory techs, techs doctors, ER docs, um, anesthesiologists, gastroenterologists, pulmonologists. It has been absolutely incredible. We had orthopedic surgeons training on how to run ventilators if we ever saw huge surges. Um, you know, our healthcare professionals, every single one of them, and, and by the way, everyone that works in a healthcare environment, right? The people that make the food, the people that clean the rooms, every one of them put their lives at risk at a time when we had no idea what that risk represented. And we should, as a country, we should be grateful. As a, as a, as a race, we should be grateful for what they've done. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't think of any better way to sort of wrap up. Again, thank you so much uh, for spending some time with us. You're going you're gonna to be back on the show. I'm just giving you a heads up from now. No problem. I look forward to it. Wonderful. And for the audience, I'm going to leave some links below, including Dr. Barsoom's uh, uh, LinkedIn profile. And I believe, are you on Twitter as well? I am. Yep. Uh, we got to get you, we'll get, we'll get you some followers on, on Twitter as well. So again, Hey, Sounds thank you all for listening. Um, this has been another episode of Hills and Valleys and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Hills and Valleys. If you haven't already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on our podcast. That way you're notified of new episodes as they're released. And if you're not already, 
please go ahead and follow Potrero Medical on all our social platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And we'll see you next time.